Hi, and welcome to episode four of uh, Friendly Chat with me, Naomi Hazenberg, and my colleague, Luke Maunder. Thank you, Naomi. And yes, this week we're going to have a little bit of a dash back through history, aren't we, to look at friend methodologies, looking in particular at the Unwired Planet subject matter, because it sounds like a good time to refresh ourselves of methodologies in the English court with two big whale judgments expected on this exact topic. Yeah, although we often talk about so many other aspects of the case from Unwired Planet, you know, it is the only UK judgment that's gone through the full rate setting exercise. And it's amazing to think that that was April 2017. Can't believe all that time has passed since that happened. It does feel like a lifetime, but that may be just because I had children in that period. It is exactly a lifetime of my child. (laughs) But anyway, let's look at how Burse approached the question. (laughs) So his first way of uh, looking at what rate to get to was by looking at the comparable Ericsson licenses. And we've talked in the disclosure exercise about the importance of comparable licenses. Uh, And this you know, is exactly why they are important. And they were the Ericsson licenses because they were the owners of the portfolio before it was acquired by Unwired Planet. And um, Mr. Justice Burse, as he then was, had to unpack those licenses because they had various terms that made them quite hard to simply compare. And he used those to get an adjusted rate to the Ericsson portfolio. And then he, he looked at the strength of the Unwired Planet portfolio, didn't he, Luke? It did indeed, yes. I mean, it's, it's a tricky one, isn't it, unpacking these things, as we know from bitter experience with a lot of arguments either way, but you've got to effectively reduce them to a comparable apples and apples scenario, otherwise they're, they're pretty pretty useless until you get to that point. But as you say, that gives you an Ericsson rate or an adjusted Ericsson rate, and he needed an unwired planet rate. So he needed to look at the strength of the unwired planet portfolio look at the strength of the Ericsson portfolio, not quite as simple as just counting numbers because there were sort of question marks over which chunk of the portfolio Ericsson had given to Unwired Planet. But he looked at the number of truly essential patents um, and used that also as a way of compensating for a potential over-declaration to sort of translate the unpacked Ericsson rate to an Unwired Planet rate with that portfolio strength ratio taken into account. And that gave him some rates for handset and infrastructure equipment. Uh, And of course, he famously said, that's great for the major markets, other market scenario. We also need to think about China, where for historic social reasons, they've had lower rates generally, um, which he sort of thought were about 50% of what was paid in the Western world. So coincidentally, he halved it. And that that, um, accounts for some of the factors we talked about in the jurisdiction episode when uh, parties were arguing, you know, because of the different methodologies of the Chinese court, you are going to end up with such a lower rate. That was part of the answer to being able to set a global rate that you could account for those differences within the rate set by the, the English court. And having looked at that and come up with that rate, he he did a cross check, didn't he? A top down cross check, which was based on on the total royalty uh, amount per standard and the total numbers of SEPs for that standard, and working out what Unwired Planet's share of that was, and therefore how much they should get of the total royalty burden. Yes, indeed, and. Um... It's a sort of interesting one, a top-down analysis, isn't it? Because it uh, inherently sounds an extremely useful metric. It's, you know, what, what should the overall stack, what should the overall standard, what should 4G cost? 
that's a big question of itself. Um, you then go, well, how do I work that out? And uh, usually the method is quotes from various people saying they reckon the stack should be 8%, 10%, 5%, 7%, whatever it was. But I mean, those are just statements, almost usually ex ante statements, actually, a long time earlier. But but a reasonable royalty stack is achievable as a sort of general concept without getting into the precise numbers. Then you have to work out how many SEPs there are. Then, which again is an interesting exercise. Didn't uh, Mr. Justice Burst found that quite an interesting exercise in itself? Didn't yeah, he? I think he looked at two two estimates and said one's too high, one's too low. My number's in the middle. Always a way to to solve <laughs> solving sticky sticky problems where you've got intractable numbers. Indeed, down the middle. Um, yes, uh, and then you work out Unwired Planet's share of that total stack, and then you allocate it. So it's quite straightforward, you know. Unwired Planet's got a hundred patents in a thousand patents, therefore it gets a tenth of eight percent if that's the the royalty stack. And it, it is quite—I mean, it was quite helpful in this case because it it gave a a figure that effectively meant what he'd backed out of the comparables seemed about right yeah he ended up within an an acceptable range of where he'd come to from the comparables didn't he so you know f- for that for that case it, it worked quite neatly whether or not that will translate going forward i guess is one of the really interesting things we have to see and, and wait for for the judgments that are coming but i guess the one um there, there, are, there are some questions that rise out of the unwired planet valuation methodology and one of those bits that was interesting was what were the comparable licenses in that case and what weren't the comparable licenses in that case. And Mr. Justice Burst uh, commented that, it, that, you know, that you're looking for licenses of the same portfolio without any special circumstances, so no court proceedings, no fire sales. And one of the licenses he discounted as being a comparable was the Samsung license that had... Um, been entered with Unwired Planet as a settlement from that same action, wasn't it? Yes, yeah. He was looking for a license to the same portfolio. Fortunately, he had a few of those. So so we can talk about what happens when they're perhaps not available in a bit. But he was looking for a license to the same portfolio. And he wanted it to be uninfluenced by external factors other than just pure free market economics you know what does a reasonable party a and a reasonable party b sat down in a room in a hypothetical negotiation what do they agree settlement court proceedings arbitration these were all factors that supposedly affected the sort of free market nature of it and also the fire sale arguments right the idea that you were trying to sign up your first licensee or you're in an absolutely desperate financial position so you're just willing to flog it at whatever rate just to get some cash through the door meant it wasn't a true free market negotiation but he was as i said this he came up with a few licenses that fulfilled those criteria so that's great so you then have well what do we do where that's not necessarily the scenario or what do we do where there are arguments over what is a true comparable so you've got that in idc and lenovo don't you so that's a case where the judgment is currently pending um in that case Interdigital and Lenovo are taking a different position on what an acceptable comparable is. So they both say a comparable is the way to do it. You know, there are comparable licenses. It is the best methodology in their view. But Lenovo only want the big six, as I think they're termed, you know, the licenses with the likes of ZTE, Apple, Huawei, Xiaomi, LG, etc. They only want those licenses considered and they say, well, we're comparable to them. Um, And 
sort of in support of that, they point to the slightly interesting statistic that those licenses together make up 98%, I think, of the units licensed by Interdigital. And it's such a high percentage from from six licenses. But um, Interdigital obviously want, want a wider range of licenses included, which some of them have slightly higher rates. And I think it's fairly understandable from an economic point of view why there are lower rates associated with the licenses with the bigger companies. You know, as we spoke about in the pool episode, it's an economies of scale thing. The more volume you have, you can understand just the justification of a slightly lower rate. But, you know, as you said, that's one of the issues that's going to be looked at um, in that decision when it comes down. And there was also a question about the relevance of the licensees portfolio and the licensees other licenses in the Apple litigation wasn't there when Apple tried to bring in one of its licenses with uh, a third party um, to be able to show what types of rates it had agreed and how comparable those were to the other licenses in the case and and the court wasn't super sympathetic to that situation was it Luke? No, it wasn't. Um, so, so the idea here is if you're valuing the portfolio, which is effectively the exercise the court considers it to be doing, how, how do you go about that? And a license to another portfolio isn't exactly a particularly good benchmark for how much you should charge for, for this portfolio. So, But I, I think you hit the nail on the head when you sort of talked about comparables and what and, and comparable entities, because obviously... Apple and Lenovo want to pay what they feel they should be paying compared to their competitors. And they would say, well, in Lenovo's case, they would say what some small company that couldn't negotiate an economy of scale is paying is not really relevant to what I should be paying. I should get the economies of scale. And Apple would say, well, how much we pay other people for our licenses is indicative of what we agree in the market for a SEP. And why are their SEPs worth more than these SEPs? And that sort of drives you, doesn't it, rather neatly towards top down, which isn't what Apple is doing, but but is heading in the direction of that, isn't it? I mean, top down is what's the entire universe worth? Therefore, what's one set worth? How many sets does this person have? They get that share. Apple's one is, well, we pay or, or we're, we're paying X to these various other companies for a set. This person wants, I don't know, 2X. I want to show to the court that that's out of line what I'm paying for SEPs elsewhere, um, which is sort of more of a top-down or quasi-top-down approach. Totally. And you could understand that the court would have maybe some more sympathy with that position if there weren't any direct comparables um, from the licensor that were in the case. I mean, obviously, I think the courts acknowledge and, and lots of parties acknowledge that comparables are the best approach. But when there aren't any comparables, you have to find a way to approach the question differently and one of those is to extrapolate from something else and and like you said one of those options is looking at the licensees licenses and you know taking a slightly top-down approach alternatively you could find a similar if not directly comparable license to look at so if you were trying to find a 5g rate but you had 4g licenses that already existed you could say they were comparable enough and and kind of start from that starting point couldn't you yeah i know i've actually you know i've sort of heard that argument being made that we don't know how much 5g is worth we've got 4g as a base technology we don't know how much 5g is worth 3g is basically paid up so at this point so you know what's the point of worrying about it it's sort of like 2g was in older licenses but actually if you think about it if you go back a step um at, at one level 
that's not dissimilar to the 3G is the bulk technology doing the heavy lifting. 4G is coming. It's the new thing. It's going to make it all whizzy and brilliant. And 2G is sort of dripping off the end somewhere. So you can see how a license to 2G, 3G, 4G, it could be said to be comparable in a way to 3G, 4G, 5G. It's an evolution, isn't it? It is an evolution. I mean, some people would say the evolution from 3G to 4G was like monkey to man and, and 4G to 5G is hipster. hipster maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe yeah, man to hipster. So, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because the use case where 5G is a huge evolution over 4G is very specific, whereas just to me and you on our telephones, 5G is not necessarily going to move heaven and earth for us is it so uh, so you do have arguments around that but but you can fix those arguments you can have a discussion with it i mean there are other methodologies that do get mentioned um but bottom up ex ante valuation because of course comparables and top down are ex post but i mean that gets dredged up from the bottom of the ocean every now and again and usually sent straight back down to the bottom. Yeah, like how, how much a court will allow the strength of every invention in a portfolio to be looked at and and at what level of detail that is. You, you don't get the impression that the court is wildly sympathetic to having a huge chunk of technical material in these cases i think um mr justice burr said in the in the unwired planet case that if you had to look at the strength of each invention you would the case would become massively disproportionate incredibly quickly so you know there is a ba- there is a balance i'm sure they'll they you know they will look at some of the strength of some of the inventions but not every invention in the portfolio no indeed and um then I suppose the last one it's worth touching on, which is quite interesting, is something that usually sort of causes fear in the eyes of most people, including me, until I, I learned a little bit more about it and realised it was perhaps a bit simpler than I'd been assuming, but that's hedonic pricing modelling. So I, I don't know, <laughs> that's not really come up very much in Frand at the moment. I mean, it is um, it is in play in one of the pending judgments in a small way. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that comes out. But all, all hedonic pricing is, is using data in the real world so it's ex post again real world data to identify the individual contribution of special characteristics to the price of a handset and like uh, you can do it for the whole phone so you can do it to work out how much a particular standard adds to a phone according to the model but the easiest way of thinking about this is, is ipads so you have an ipad with wi-fi and you've got an ipad with cellular and apple charges i don't know 100 pounds more 150 pounds more for the cellular functionality so a hedonic pricing model would say, well, that's £150, then the cellular component of that is worth £150. And you can, that's a very basic analysis. You can then have synergy analysis on top of that so that it can take into account that having cellular connectivity gives you synergistic value in other things, and thus you take more value into the cellular aspect. So it's it's not that straightforward, but but conceptually it's quite straightforward and um the european commission's sep expert group i mean they didn't really agree on particularly much if we're being honest but they they set out quite a lot of interesting aspects um and one of the things they said was um sort of hinting in the direction of a, a hedonic pricing or hedonic pricing could be used to achieve it which is to work out the incremental addition of a new standard uh as part of the incremental value generated by that standard. And you can use hedonic pricing to, to, to try and work that out. So, I mean, that's an area where I think we've not seen much of it yet, but it's certainly an available 
extremely well-known, well-trodden economic model, just because it's new to Fran doesn't mean they've not been doing it in the housing industry yeah. for 50 years, right? Yeah, and, and it'll be interesting to see what the, the comments are from the from the court when, when that's looked at in the pending decisions. Yeah, it, it's an interesting one, isn't it? It's, it's explaining a new economic process to the court is always a, a sort of slightly concerning thing to be doing. But equally, it, if it's quite straightforward and logical, then you, you've not got an alternative method. That's always been the strength of the English court. You know, if there's nothing to, to go on, but you come up with something rational with a good explanation as to why it's helpful, the English court will pay attention to it and, and adopt it if it's sensible. Logical and flexible. Logical and flexible. God bless the common law. <laughs> I think that probably brings us to the end of our brief, maybe not that brief, recap of the FRAND methodologies uh, from Unwired Planet and also some interesting questions that come from that decision. And as Luke said, we're, we're waiting for the judgments in Interdigital, Lenovo and Optus Apple. So, so watch this space. Absolutely, yes. And please do check out the Bristow's Fran Tracker, where we will continue to update everyone on all the latest Fran judgments in England and Wales. Indeed. And the social channels for all the upcoming events. 